Hello, this is Daryl Castle with today's Castle Report. Today is Friday, April 3rd, 2020. And on this report, I will be talking about the virus because nothing else is happening anywhere except the war on the virus. The world's economy shut down and the United States intentionally puts itself into negative GDP in an effort to slow the spread of the virus, all virus, all the time, it seems. It also seems to be a world war against an enemy so small we can't even see him without an electron microscope here at the Castle household. It's day 14 of quarantine, or day 14, Castle's held hostage, I guess. That means Joan and I do not have the virus, although I've seen reports of symptoms appearing in a few more days to manifest. Nevertheless, we're grateful that we and our family, as well as our law firm staff and their families, are symptom-free. At this point, we continue to work in lonely isolation, however, because Caesar has decreed that our isolation must continue for another month. The family daughter continues her symptom-free isolation on the small island near the bottom of the world, I wonder, how long this can go on without total destruction of the American economy? The answer is not that much longer, as we will see in a moment. Restaurants, bars, retail shopping, churches, whole cities shutting down as the world's economy contracts radically. Work is not being done. Wages not being earned. Things are not being made for other people to buy. It suddenly seems to have occurred to people that without revenue, Neither governments nor individuals can pay their bills, so perhaps the virus will bankrupt more people than it kills. In talking with people via the Internet from around the world, it seems that the world is teetering on the brink of uncertainty. What will happen to us and to our countries? No one seems to know. We know the results of uncertainty when we have seen it in the past. The great American detective, Lieutenant Colombo, once said, to understand something, you must understand its past so we can look at history. When we find it in pure form and mix in a little human nature, hopefully, out will come reality, as well as a view of what has happened in the past. People accept debt. They don't mind leverage when they have confidence of future ability to service that debt. When confidence is high, people are heavily indebted since they don't want to buy that new car, that new house, when people lose confidence in the future. Certainty is destroyed, and they wonder, will I have a job tomorrow? Will I lose the ability to meet the debt service that I have? In that case, we stop spending, and we circle the wagons. We go into defensive mode, total defense all the time. Perhaps we contemplate what default will mean for us and our families the result of all this is that, according to the St. Louis Fed, second quarter unemployment could reach 32%, which would exceed the maximum under the Great Depression. It was 24.9% in 1933 at the peak of the Depression. GDP will contract in the first quarter by as much as 30% for the first time in many years, according to TSA, airport passenger traffic was down 90% for the much of month of March. 3.2 million Americans applied for unemployment benefits two weeks ago, a record many times over. But last week, it went to 6.6 .6 million. 
The previous high was 695000 in 1982. The Dow, which those in power like to use as a re-election measure, is down 34% peak to trough. Call it whatever you want, but I'm calling it the worst collapse of the American economy. Since the Great Depression, people react to all this news in different ways. Some are nonchalant. Hardly paying any attention at all, these folks seem to believe that the reaction of most of us is paranoid and way out of proportion. Some people do seem to be at least borderline paranoid, afraid to leave their homes to walk out in the sunshine for a few moments. Optimists say the viral infection will peak in May. Pessimists say that it will be August. I don't know which of those because I admit I just don't know the response as is usual. As usual, is local, depending on local culture, politics, size, geography, local skills, and so forth. I do wonder sometimes if we're shutting down the world for nothing. Is the cure worse than the disease? What matters is not what I think, but what the federal government thinks and what it will do as a result when the federal government portrays itself as the solver of every problem. It's natural that the Fed should get the blame when problems go unsolved. We should know from history that world wars cannot be fought without casualties. But the virus now reminds us of that. The government tells us that we can expect 200 to 240,000 dead before the virus is forced into unconditional surrender. Even then, we're warned it could return for a second attack when cool weather returns in the fall. Those casualties, I suppose represent the collateral damage of war just throwaways along the road to victory. What will the federal government do to prevent a total collapse in conjunction with the Federal Reserve? Some $6 trillion will be infused into the economy to replace that which is being lost. Some of that money is apparently earmarked for small business to prevent their laying off workers, thus sending them to the unemployment line where they would require government relief anyway, 80% of Americans will get a direct cash payment which will require $560 billion of the $2.2 trillion allocated. The Fed has earmarked $3 trillion. That doesn't need congressional approval for its own use. For banks and debt markets, bond and stock markets are backstopped with infinite cash. There is no hole deep enough to prevent the Federal Reserve from filling it with cash. The Federal Reserve under congressional rules is not permitted to be in the bond-buying business, but who cares about the law? In times like these, municipal bonds are in trouble as cities can no longer meet their expenses, so the Fed steps in to buy the bonds, thus pushing municipal debt piles higher and higher, so next year it will require even more to keep the plates in the air. Corporations are also obviously in trouble. The list of failing corporations is very long. So the federal government has allocated hundreds of millions of dollars, hundreds of billions of dollars, to bail them out ostensibly to keep them from laying off workers. Sometimes it doesn't work. And the Kennedy Center is exhibit number one. The Kennedy Center got $25 million to help avoid layoffs, but not a penny went to employees. Many were laid off anyway. The Fed is prohibited from buying government bonds, but now it does anyway keep the bond market from imploding and collapsing. I wonder if the Fed can make a real depression go away 
with phony money. It seems that we are about to find out. There were some ominous cracks in the American economy before war was declared against the virus. It was a very fragile economy dependent on infinite expansion of credit. Although unemployment was low and the stock market was high, much of the manufacturing base had been transferred offshore, primarily to China. The last U.S. aspirin plant, for example, aspirin, 2002 it closed. The last penicillin plant, 2004, 97% of antibiotics used in the United States are made in China. The U.S. economy is 70% consumption. We buy stuff that we consume. That's 70% of the total economy. 70% of that is tied to service, not goods made and sold. Most of the losses in the service industries could turn out to be permanent, it seems. The types of businesses that are in the service industries and are now destroyed do not build pent-up demand as the manufacturing industries do. The U.S. buys, but it does not make or sell. How did the U.S. lose its industrial base? One factory at a time, I guess. The feds are going to save us, though. They're giving away so much money that it takes 880 pages just to list it all. Special rules must be adopted to shovel out all the money. The Sunshine Law was lifted for the Fed, so we're not allowed to know exactly how much money is being created, how much is going to be spent on what. Lobbyists line up to gain money in favor for their clients. Just look at how the Kennedy Center got its $25 million. That's a nice contribution, by the way. I'm sure all the wheat farmers in Kansas are pleased to do their part for the Kennedy Center, as are the coal miners out in West Virginia. There are other suggestions for how to win the war against our invisible enemy, other than printing money we don't have. Gordon Brown, for example, the former prime minister of Great Britain, has said that we need a world government whose authority supersedes that of sovereign nations to coordinate the global response for health and economy, he suggests that the efforts to build and fund such a government should begin, well, yesterday at the G20 summit, which started yesterday. He was disappointed that the UN Security Council had not been invited to the G20 summit. Will he get what he and many others want? Well, we'll see, folks. A global crisis needs global money, our world leaders say. We need to empower the IMF with special power to create and distribute global money called SDRs, our special drawing rights. Bill Gates says, he has another suggestion, Mr. Gates. Bill Gates says that when we have a vaccine in a few months, we need a, quote, digital certificate to note who has received the vaccine, who has recovered from the virus, and so forth. I suspect that digital certificate will be necessary, necessary to enter any federal property to board an airplane or other public transportation, ultimately to buy and sell anything such as gasoline, food, or a housing contract. Government has already taught us it can do whatever it wants without restraint. Government alone determines what is essential and what is not. Government has no money to hand out. It can only print, but feds who hand out more money get more power, so they print, they print, and they hand it out. Democrats and their followers in the media and in the polls often extol the virtues of socialism and condemn capitalism and blame it for the problems. What they don't understand 
is that we, what we have and have had for many years is not capitalism because if it were, capitalism would not be failing. For capitalism to work, corporations must be allowed to fail. The bankruptcy system works quite well and repairs it all in time. What we actually have is fascism or corporatism as defined by Benito Mussolini, never mind the silly uniform he used to wear and the strutting posture, those are just the trappings for the masses. Fascism is a union between government and corporations to run a country. The corporations of a large enough scale run the country and game it for the benefit of their insiders and the government backstops their mistakes and gambling losses. With taxpayer money, corporate boards become revolving doors for high-ranking officials, both elected and bureaucratic. Everybody wins, nobody loses, as the Godfather used to say. In conclusion, I want to tell you the terrible choice the government is facing and must make right now. Perhaps that choice has already been made, I don't know. On the one hand, we have a large group of highly vulnerable people, including diabetics, heavy smokers, heavy drinkers, especially the very frail elderly, when positive for the virus, a great many of these people will die without ventilators. I heard a doctor in New York say that 80% of those over 80 years of age in hospitals will die with or without ventilators. On the other side of the equation, we have an economy that's rapidly sinking into depression, perhaps fatally. Should we start now trying to restart this economy before it's too late? Should we continue as we're going and just try to print our way out of it, knowing that Zimbabwe may lie at the end of that road without the bailout funds we have bought possibly, I'm sorry, with the bailout funds we have bought possibly a three-month window of opportunity? What do we do with it? What do we do with that window? That's the question. Do we sacrifice the elderly or do we sacrifice the economy the next month? possibly less, will tell us what has been decided. If we go back to work, we've probably decided to let the young and the healthy workers who pay taxes when they work go back and build up some herd immunity while the weak and the elderly, well, you're, you're on your own. If we do not go back to work, then we are risking an entire national economy into the hands of a printing press. The result could be economic catastrophic collapse resulting with social chaos, martial law, and so forth. Not a pretty picture, no easy choices here, folks, just bad ones and worse ones. Finally, folks, here at the castles, we endeavor not to fiddle our, away our time while Rome burns. We continue to work hard each day, although we work at home. After 14 days of quarantine, we have declared ourselves virus-free, at least COVID-19-free. We continue to pray for our daughter who remains stuck on a small island on the other side of the world. There are lots of storms that ravage those islands, so we watch, we wait, we pray for her and her husband, as well as the continued Internet survival. At least that's the way I see it, folks. Until next time, this is Daryl Castle. Thanks for listening.